0: following our reading plan, you should have read Matthew 3 this week, which talked about the, the uh, baptism of Jesus and John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, and then Matthew 4 talks about his temptation and then the, the early calling of disciples, the early preaching ministry of, uh, of Jesus. And, but we're going to focus in, part of my challenge um, as we go through the reading plan is, is while you take these big passages of, sections of scripture, two chapters to read together, my challenge is to prayerfully consider what part of that passage to hone in on on Sunday morning because we're not going to cover it all. And, and for whatever reason, I, you know, we, we talk about sin and we talk about temptation. There were lots of other things in these passages I get really excited about. But the Lord impressed on me that this is what we're supposed to talk about today. And maybe it's something that I know universally we all struggle with temptation. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with the insidious nature of sin and what it does to our lives. And so hopefully this morning we're going to learn some instructive things about what it means to, to stand against the tempter and stand against those sinful things that happen uh, to us as we live these, this life. And so let's do this. Why don't you stand for me one more time and we're going to read chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. It says in verse one, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, meaning Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, He said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Coming to us from Psalm 91. Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8 says, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor all this i will give you if you will bow down and worship me jesus said to him away from from me satan for it is written worship the lord your god and serve him only then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him father we uh we thank you for Again, just a sinless Savior. We thank you for one who died in our place. We thank you for one who modeled righteousness for us. We thank you for one who, again, Lord, paved a way for us to know you, to know life, to know eternity, and to know heaven. Thank you, Lord, for one that we can follow. And thank you, Lord, for the blessings of righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Go ahead and be seated. You know, a lot of times I think one of the struggles we have with sin is that we feel as though we can we can just nibble a little bit. You know, make everybody does it everybody's you know this is the world we live in i'm you know that's the way i'm wired i'm sinful to my core and we nibble a little bit and we nibble a little bit and we think well maybe just once or maybe just a little bit or maybe this defiant action it's not a lifestyle and we nibble a little bit until finally whatever that sin might be maybe it's that 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 substance that we just can't seem to get out of our lives or maybe it's a a relationship that continues to pull us down, or maybe it's an action, something that we we watch or we view, and and when nobody else is around, or, or maybe it's a, a bent toward in, uh, inappropriate words or gossip towards someone else, and we think you know just a little bit, just a little bit, and then finally it explodes on us, and when it explodes, it, it begins to tear apart. Everything that we have. That's why God is so specific, both in the Old Testament and what righteousness would look like according to the law, but in the fulfillment of the law, what it meant to live according to. The, the, the freedom we're given in Christ, the freedom not to sin, but the freedom to walk away from sin and the beauty of a life of purity. We nibble a little and we nibble a little until finally it all explodes on us and it tears everything apart. Our relationships, our lives, our, our work, our, our, our church relationships, and sometimes even our church. All those things that can be destroyed, our family even, because we just nibble a little bit of sin. Um, I saw a video this week. Actually, Freddie sent this to me. and. Uh, um, and, and I thought it was kind of instructive on what it looks like. Now, there's no sound on this video. I wish there was sound. Uh, but I want you to just watch. This guy's trying to get rid of a mole in his yard. And so he nibbles at it and he nibbles at it until he finally decides he's going to fill the hole with gasoline. And he just, just tosses a little match and then tosses a little match. And to me, it looked like somebody who's playing with sin. And as they play with sin, they just nibble a little and nibble a little until finally everything explodes. And it comes back on us. Watch watch this video. Now, again, there's no sound. I'll try to make the explosion sound when it happens. But go ahead, watch it, watch it. Okay, this guy's filled the hole with gasoline. That's the temptation. And now he says, hey, I'm just going to nibble a little. I can do a little. I can do a little. But now watch what happens to him. Keep an eye. (laughs) Isn't that great? I wish there was sound. My favorite part of that video is that dog that was sleeping right on that dirt and it sent him flying. That's what happens to us, right? We nibble a little and we nibble a little. And then finally, whatever that sinful habit is, it explodes. And then it affects our marriage. It affects our parents or our children. It affects all the various things around us because we've decided that we're going to just stick our toe in the water a little bit. And and that's why this passage this morning is so important. Because we live in a world where we're constantly being tempted. We're being tempted by our old nature. We're being tempted by the things that surround us. And we're being tempted by Satan and, and, and his minions themselves, pushing us towards sinful habits and the destruction that comes from those sinful habits. Well, that's why what we look at this morning is so important. First of all, we see the necessity of a sin, sinless savior, the necessity of a sinless savior. Matthew chapter four, verse one says then when Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, when I read this, I thought, no, wait a minute. God does not lead us into temptation. God doesn't cause us to be tempted. Now, why, well, God doesn't need to lead us into temptation. We're surrounded by it. We live in a dark and sinful world. We live in a place that is constantly throwing temptation at us. And all the more, as all the raps are starting to come off of sin, sin isn't private anymore. Sin is a very public thing in the culture that we live And and so God doesn't need to lead us to temptation. We're constantly being being bombarded by temptation. But the fact here, it says that the Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. It is necessary for Jesus to go through this process and for us to both see and to live with the ramifications of the temptation of Jesus. It said the Spirit led him into the wilderness. It doesn't say the Spirit left him there. No, back if you read chapter three, you realize that the spirit came on Jesus, anointed Jesus at this time, prepares him for this three years of ministry. We have the beauty of, a, of an anointed spirit filled life. And immediately the first thing that happens is the spirit says, we've got to go get this done. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness and, and, the, and it also doesn't mean that Jesus was never again tempted after this forty-day period, no, we we said he Jesus being continually tempted by the by the, the the judgment of the Pharisees and the inappropriate words of the people around him and the actions even of his own disciples sometimes. Oh, what are you doing? And so easily it would have been, been Jesus would have been tempted to anger or to frustration or to giving up or to even in the Garden of Gethsemane walking away from the whole thing. And yet Jesus, in the midst of his uh, continual bombardment, by the evil one in the world around him, Jesus remained pure. So how did he do that? Well, the necessity of a sinless Savior. Look at what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is necessary for Jesus not only to be tempted but to remain faithful and to remain sinless. Because righteousness demands sinlessness. We're never going to achieve that in this life. But Christ gives us His righteousness. He, the Bible says when God looks at us, He sees the righteousness of His sinless Son. So it was a necessary thing that Jesus was tempted and that Jesus was victorious over temptation so that He might be righteousness for you and me. And as we follow Him, it is a surrendering of our lives to His righteousness. Accepting Christ is essentially saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. I need the righteousness of Jesus. I confess my sin, and as we confess our sin, God God lays on us the righteousness of his sinless son. So it was necessary that Christ goes through this process. Not only do we see the necessity in this process, but we, we see the, the attacks of the, of, the, of the enemy. Look at verses Uh, uh, 2 through 11 what we see three different temptations here the first temptation verse 3 satan came to him and said if you are the son of god tell these stones to become bread by the way jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days so what's satan doing he's attacking him at his place of physical weakness at his place of physical weakness you ever been there when your flesh is hurting, when your flesh is is uh, as in pain, when you're going through the difficulties of, of your body failing you or you're going through the difficulties of what do they call it now, you're hangry, you're hungry and you're angry at the same time. And so you get hangry. You, you, you have that tendency to lash out and say inappropriate words when you're feeling deprived of sleep or deprived of food or physically weak or your body aches or you're, you're, you're dealing with, with a, another, just another part of the, the physical struggles of this life. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. And so where does Satan attack him? In the place of his physical hunger. Those places when we're physically struggling. And yet, what does Jesus do? Immediately, he answers through the word of God. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Even in his hunger, Jesus goes back to the word and back to the relationship he has with the Father and that sustenance he has from him to help him stand against the evil one. We see the second temptation. Down in verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, remember that the temple had become a place of great pride for the Israelites. Uh, it was Herod who helped them uh, it, it build a, a temple to a size that it had never known before. The inordinate nature of the temple was a testament not only to the Romans' investment in them, they thought, but also this just this enormous Beautiful edifice. And now Satan takes Jesus to the highest place of that temple. And as he does so, look at what he says. If you are the Son of God. Again, another if. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written here from the Psalms, he will commend his angels concerning you. And they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Psalm 91. So here, again, Jesus responds. It is written, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. Back to the law. Back to Deuteronomy. So here we have Satan telling him to look at it over the, Look at all of this. This could all be yours. By the way, in a few short years, Jesus will make his triumphal entry into this city. And he will be received as their next king. Only a few short days later, this entire city... Turning their back on him and rejecting him. Satan says, We can thwart all of that. All of this can be yours if you'll just bow down and worship me. Again, Satan's bent toward being worshiped, making himself the center of his universe. Everyone to worship him. Christ again stands that test. Do not put your Lord, the Lord your God, to the test if you are the Son of God. Finally, Finally, a third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, in the midst of look at everything here. Look at all that could be yours. Everything. All this I will give you. If you will bow down and worship me. Look at all you could boast. All of this is yours. If you'll worship me. Remember that at this point, the cross hasn't happened. At this point, the doom of Satan has not been sealed. He's still trying to exercise that desire to, to thwart, to, to, uh, to dismantle, to derail the plan of God. And yet, again, Satan, or still, again, Jesus standing that test by staying in communion with the Heavenly Father. It's not hard to understand the, the attacks of Satan. He attacks us when we're weak, physically weak, our flesh. He attacks us through the things that we see. Now, it used to be you had to go out and travel to all these places to see all of these things. But now, with a, a good Wi Fi connection and a screen in front of us, we can see the entire world instantly. We can see everything we want instantly. And now we can push a button and they'll take it out of our account and drop it on our front porch. You don't have to leave your house. I don't know how many times I told, my, my wife told me at Christmas, I ordered a gift for you. If something comes, don't open it. Don't open it. None of them were for me, by the way. We can have anything we want through the things that we see. And then finally, that boastful pride. If you're the son of God, all this could be yours. You could have the title, King of the Earth. And yet Jesus knows that he's got a higher call. Again, we see the the enemy's attacks. We've got to understand that there's a universal nature of sin. I'm going to put these verses up on the screen for you. John wrote in his gospel, Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, comes not from the father but from the world. See what John did here? He helps us recognize that everything Jesus dealt with is exactly the same everything we deal with today. The lust of the flesh. Turn these stones to bread. I know you're hungry. The lust of the flesh. Take care of what your body needs. Take care of those those needs for for uh, uh, for uh, your physical body. Take care of those that touching that that feeling of of, of fulfilling those lustful passions. Those needs for for uh, uh, that that need for uh, earthly happiness. All of those things that are really connected to our physical body and our personality and things that we want. How about the lust of the eyes? Satan said, or excuse me, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Look out over all of this. Look out over all of this. And as you look out over all this, throw yourself down. All the kingdoms of the world can be yours, Jesus. Look at it all. And tempting him through his eyes. And then finally, that boastful pride of life. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Because you can command angels and they'll just they'll catch you right up. You won't even hurt yourself. Prove it. How we deal with the same things, the lusting of our physical body, the lusting of our eyes, the things that we see. And then finally, that that pride of life, that boastful pride that says, look at all I have. Look at all I've done. Look at my ego wall and all the certificates that are behind me. Look at everything that that I can I can say this is me to the rest of the world. The, the, the things that I've accomplished, all of these things. And Satan just continues to tempt us toward more and more and more until we begin to forsake our relationships and we forsake our faith and we forsake our, our commitment to God because we've got to have more because we're concerned with what the world sees. The universal nature of sin. But there's a, a fourth thing here. Again, in the necessity of a sinless Savior. This comes to us from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, the universal nature of sin, who was tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. The Lord Jesus, who was tempted exactly like we are, who's gone through everything that you and I have gone through. We can never look at God. We can never look at the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you don't understand because you've never dealt with what I'm dealing with now. No, the Lord Jesus has walked it all and yet remained strong. So he has empathy for us. It's not that he's judging us. It's not that he's looking down his righteous nose at us and saying, I did it. You can, too. No, he's looking down his compassionate hand toward us and saying, I did it. Now, help. Let me help you walk through it. Let me be the one who guides you past it. So verse 16 of Hebrews four, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In those times that we're struggling, we never can use the excuse excuse, there was no one to help me, no one around, nowhere I could go. And God says to us, I'm walking with you. I desire to walk with you through that path. It's also a good reminder to recognize that if the spirit of God is living within us, everywhere we go, God is walking with us. So as we begin to watch those, those things and filling our minds with things that are inappropriate, the Lord Jesus is right there with us. I've <laughs> got a good friend. I've told you this before. Whenever he goes to the movies with his family, he always leaves an empty seat. And uh, um, you ask him, well, who's, what's the empty seat for? He says, that's Jesus. And I want to make sure whatever we're watching would be appropriate for that Jesus. Would be happy we're watching this. Oh, man. And we think, what a great, what a tough challenge, but what a great challenge. Everywhere we go, the Lord Jesus is walking with us, empathetically helping us through those times of temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this. I think it's there in the bottom of your sermon notes. No temptation has ever overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. How did Jesus withstand temptation? Remember, the spirit was with him. So we're continually relying on the relationship we have with the spirit of God. He was using the word of God as his pillar, as his standard. So we've got to stay in the word of God. So our mind is being saturated by the word so that that's our response and then he was in prayerful communion with the Father. For 40 days he had been fasting, praying, relationship with God, preparing for the next three years of ministry with a 40-day fast. And so he's in communion with the Father, he's in communion, he's, he's fueled by the indwelling of the Spirit, and he's relying on the Word of God. And, folks, God has given, the, given us as his children another great resource, which is this community, this community of faith. Brothers and sisters who are going through the same thing that we're going through that we can rely on, we can call on. I tell you what, if you've ever talked to anybody who's going through, through a, a sense of, of addiction recovery, one of the things that we, we lean on heavily in recovery is our community. Fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, fellow brothers and sisters who can understand that we can call on at any time. We hear it again and again and again in our City Gospel Mission graduations. Rely on your community, on your spiritual and and, and and the community of, of fellow folks who have, are in recovery. Folks, we're all in recovery. We're all in recovery from sin and the effects of sin, and we can rely on one another. By the way, please do not take this verse out of context. A lot of folks will will read this verse, and we've developed this sort of Christian mindset that says no uh no struggle or no burden has ever, ever ever overtaken you except what is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be he will not give you struggle beyond what you can bear that's not what this verse says this verse says he'll never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. There are times God will bring struggles into our life that are beyond us that are intentionally uh, we're intentionally led by God into things that we cannot handle, and we're forced to rely on the presence of God. Folks, I can say with with all uh, sincerity, last night I was, I was telling my wife, I, I got frustrated because I went out, I had to pick a couple of things up for us, um, and it was kind of late at night, and I... Uh, um, I was driving into a neighborhood that I'd been there many times before, but it was dark and I, ha- I was having a hard time seeing and I couldn't find the road. And I had to drive up and down the road a couple times before I could see the driveway that I needed. And so I finally found it. And, I, and so it took me out. I got home and and I got home a little bit later. and I thought I wouldn't. Lisa said, where you been? And and I was frustrated. I said, I, I just my eyes. I'm so frustrated. I can't see in the dark. I mean, it's all you know, it's all this stuff that I deal with. And I said, I just, I feel like I'm, I feel like a little old man who can't see in the dark and, and my body's falling apart. <laughs> and you know what she said? She said, hey, you remember January a year ago? And where you were? And so I said, thank you, dear wife, for reminding me. No, I did. I said, no, you're exactly right. This time last year, I was in a pretty dark place. And there were times when it was more than I think I could have bared. Without the presence of God, without his word, and without you people. As we walk these things together. We're going to be tempted in this life. But God's always going to give us the resources to stand. And those resources are his word. Remember last week we talked about staying in flow with God. His word, prayer. The indwelling of his Holy Spirit within us, speaking into our mind and our spirit. And this body of believers who are carrying us through difficult places. One last thing and I'm going to let you go. Um. Paul Harvey shared something a long time ago, and it just was such a powerful picture of the nature of what sin does. Now, this is grisly, forgive me, um, but it's it's a picture of a, it's It's actually how uh, an Eskimo kills a wolf. Now, uh, and again, forgive me for the for the graphic nature of this, but it just shows us what happens when we begin to nibble at sin. Just a little more and a little more until it finally overtakes our lives. Here's what it says. First, the Eskimo coats his knife blade with animal blood and allows it to freeze. Then he adds another layer of blood and another and another until the blade is completely concealed by the frozen blood. Next. Next. The hunter fixes his knife to the ground with a blade up. A wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait. And he licks it. Tasting the fresh frozen blood, he begins to lick faster and faster and more and more vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare and, Feverishly, now harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade in the arctic night. So great becomes the craving for blood that the wolf does not notice the razor sharp sting of the naked blade in his own tongue, nor does he recognize the instant and wish his insatiable thirst is being satisfied by his own warm blood. His carnivorous appetite just craves more. Until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. We can nibble and we can nibble and we can nibble at the, the things that are sinfully driving us to bad places. And then that insatiable appetite that we still fight within us begins to take hold. And then we start making decisions And we start making changes in our lives. And we start going down paths that are so destructive because we didn't say no. We didn't rely on our spiritual resources at the beginning. I encourage you today. Whatever that sinful place might be, whatever that sinful habit is that you continue to to wrestle with, give it to God. God. Call on your Heavenly Father for those resources. And folks, we're told in the book of James to confess our sin to each other. Find a a good, confidential brother or sister in Christ and, and share that need with them. Hold one another accountable. Walk together and listen to that voice of the Spirit as He speaks back to you the Word of God. If you want to stand strong, be in His Word. You want to find the the weakness, the destruction of the knife blade of sin. Then just close that word and don't open it again until next week. That's why this word becomes so important to us. Father, please. Please help us to stand firm. Help us to stand against the temptations of the evil one. Help us to know victory and help us to take this very, very seriously. This fight against all the things that drive us. To very very difficult places, we pray in Jesus name, Amen. Hey, uh, just before we close this service, um, I want to encourage you to go back to the back of your connection card. In these sermon response boxes, uh, somebody recently asked me, "Hey, what happens to those connection cards?" Well, they get they all get bundled together. Pastor Brian gets them first. He he categorizes all of it, and then anything that is confidential, the sermon responses. Your prayer requests that are just for the pastor's eyes, they just go to us as pastors. The prayer requests that are for the prayer chain go to Jen. Any kind of connection information goes to Jen. But these things that are be confidential, they come to us, and we're the only ones to see those. And so know that as you share these things, we are prayerfully praying for We are walking with you. Number one says, I've been feeling the effects of an acceptance of sin in my life. Pray that I could better recognize the insidious nature of sin. Number two says, so often I feel like God is judging me and not helping me. Pray that I could better feel and embrace the empathy of my loving Savior. Not judging us. His desire is to walk with us and help us through these times of struggle. And finally, pray that I could better understand and apply God's ways of escape when temptation is coming my way. Staying in flow with God. And that strength that it gives us. Why don't you stand with us as we close our service?